Welcome to another Sunday morning sermon from Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word. can't explain something, we call it paranormal activity. Ghost stories like that usually tend to spook us. I know I personally have had a few different things happen in my life that just had no explanation possible. A number of years ago when my grandmother passed away, I happened to be at a youth camp. Uh, the, uh, in the early morning hours, the door to the cabin opened, I rolled over and there was my grandma. Now, this was a couple of hours away. When we left, she was on her deathbed. I was totally confused by what she was doing there. We had a nice conversation. It wasn't weird or spooky or anything. The door closed, and I happened to look at my watch to see what time it was before I rolled back over and went to sleep for another hour or so. Later on that morning, I got a phone call. Grandma had passed in the early morning hours. Before I hung up, I asked, what time was it that she'd passed? You've got it. It was exactly the same time that I looked at my watch. I don't know what that was about. Can't explain it. Paranormal activity, right? When we lived in South Bend, Indiana, we had a house that we were trying to sell there. And the, the realtor who lived next door had asked me, did you happen to say anything to your family about the ghost in the house? Well, I wasn't really sure what she was talking about. But then she goes on to tell me, some things that made other things make a lot more sense to us. For example, the couple that built the house had a young toddler, and unfortunately, when Dad went to back out of the garage, unbeknownst to him, the toddler ran out the front door, jumped on his big wheel, rode out in the driveway, and Dad, unfortunately, ran over him, and his son died. Now, it was a horrible scenario, and ultimately, the family just couldn't deal with living there anymore. But it did, under, it did go on to explain a few things that we couldn't understand, like why the linen closet door in the hallway going back to the bathrooms was always about three to four inches open. I used to get so frustrated at the girls, I would say, you've got to shut that door tight. You guys go running up and down this hallway. You're going to run into the side of the door, and we're going to end up having to take you to the dentist or the hospital to get stitches. You've got to shut that. And I'd shut that door and pull on it and make sure it was latched and you know, make my way into the kitchen for something, come back down the hallway, and there stood the door, wide open again. Well, wide open, about three or four inches, just wide enough for a little toddler to play hide-and-seek and look out of, right? Probably the strangest one, though, was how uh, periodically they would, uh, the other family members would hear the garage door go up and down, think that somebody had forgotten something, and yet nobody would come in. And when they would go open the door and they'd look outside, the garage door was shut, no car in the driveway, no car in the garage, but they had clearly and distinctly heard the garage door go up and down. One last thing similar to that. Again, no explanation, just the way it was. 
my nephews living in mom's house, the farmhouse. His 18, 19-year-old daughter is there with him. One night he was crashed out on the couch, you know, watching TV, quote, unquote, when all of a sudden the front door slams shut. There's even a little uh, chime on it, and it slammed so hard that the chime went off. He jumped up out of his seat, you know, and was wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. His daughter's looking at him like, what the heck was that all about? He got up, went over to the front door. It was still latched and locked with a deadbolt lock. They looked at each other, and they had both experienced it. They both heard it. There's no explanation for it. When you can't explain something like that, it generally tends to spook you. And honestly, the same type of thing happens when people try to talk about the Holy Spirit. A lot of things just aren't explainable. Jesus' disciples had a similar type experience with what they had an encounter with a ghost one time. In Mark chapter 6, verse 47 and following, Jesus has fed the 5,000. He's told his disciples, you go on ahead to the other side of uh, the Sea of Galilee, and I'll meet you on the other side. So the disciples get in the boat, they row throughout the night, they encounter a storm, They're laboring against the storm, and they just were in great despair about whether they were going to make it across or whether the boat was going to sink. And then it says about 3 o'clock in the morning, they saw Jesus walking on the water toward them. When they saw him walking on the water, it says they cried out in terror, thinking it was a ghost. Grown men, screaming like little girls, telling ghost stories with each other. They're all terrified when they saw him, but Jesus spoke to them and said, Don't be afraid. Take courage. I'm here. He climbs into the boat. The storm stops, and all they can do is look at each other in amazement. They were convinced they'd seen a ghost. It's ironic that Jesus promises to make us unshakable by sending his spirit. The King James refers to it as the Holy Ghost. By sending his spirit into our life. So talking about the Holy Spirit is actually intended to reassure us, not make us more afraid or even more uneasy or terrified. Now I realize trying to explain the idea and the activity of the Holy Spirit in about the next 25 minutes is just dumb. So let me say up front, I'm going to give you just a small bit, trying to make it bite-sized as to how the presence of God's Spirit within us can make us unshakable. So let's start with this. Holy Spirit 101. This is the beginning. This is the foundation. You don't have to understand it. You don't have to be able to explain it. You just have to be open and willing to receive it. Kind of like this incident in Mary's life, the mother of Jesus. In Luke chapter 1, it tells this story. Mary was shaken by the angel's announcement that God was going to do something amazing through her, that she was going to give birth to the Messiah. She pressed for an explanation because she says, this can't happen. I've never been with a man. Here's the angel's response in Luke chapter 1, verse 35. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you you. Now that gives enough of an explanation to help us understand Mary's response. 
Her reaction is what makes her and us unshakable. Did she understand it? Nope. Could she explain it in detail to Joseph? Probably not. But in trying to comprehend how the Spirit of God could work in her life and use her, the best that you can take away from that is in chapter 1, verse 38. When you hear her response, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. That openness, that willingness that says, I don't understand it. I can't explain it. I can't even comprehend it. But I'm willing for you to make that happen through me. The presence of God's Spirit made Jesus unshakable as well. Now, typically, it's normal for us to think that if we're right with God, then we're going to be kept safe, whatever safe means. Life will be easier and better if we're walking with God. Jesus had just come back from being baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. The voice of God had said in pronouncement at that time, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He brings me great joy. Satan will try to shake your commitment to God in the most close moments you have with him. Because even when you're obedient to God, even when you know you have his blessing, even when you know you're filled with his spirit, it's more than a little unsettling to realize that that's exactly when Satan tries to shake us down. In Luke chapter 4, verse 1, it says, It was then that Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. Notice, he was full of the Holy Spirit. It goes on to say he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Doesn't that just seem to be how it goes in our life as well? It's not uncommon or unusual that after what we refer to as a spiritual high, that we encounter some temptation that sends us crashing down and shakes us to our roots. Notice that the temptation comes when we're alone, just as it did with Jesus. It comes repeatedly, just as it did with Jesus over the next 40 days. And it's not frequently just a one-time thing. It goes on for days. More than likely, Satan's intention is to make us question the value and the guidance of God's Spirit in our life, much like it was for Jesus. And yet in verse 13 of Luke 4, it simply makes this observation, after Jesus had passed the temptation, no doubt because he was full of the Spirit and followed the leading of the Spirit in his life, it says, when the devil had finished tempting him, he left him until the next opportunity came. I want to encourage you with this, that the presence of God's Spirit doesn't make us untemptable. It just makes us unshakable. Now, you know, every now and then you have to create a word to be able to communicate effectively, and that's the way it is with untemptable. It doesn't put us beyond temptation any more than it put Jesus beyond temptation. But even if we're not untemptable we can be unshakable see like mary you don't have to explain it you don't have to understand it you don't have to explain how the spirit works just be willing to receive it like jesus even when you're doing what god wants you to do and going where god leads you to go 
the very presence of His Spirit is not a guarantee that we won't be tempted, but it can make us unshakable in the middle of that. Jesus knew His followers would need to have the presence of God and His Spirit in their life as well to make them unshakable. That's why He would tell His disciples in John 14 that there would come a time when they would have to face life without Him. And they were shaken by that. They had more questions than answers, just like we would. They were shaken by that because the answers they had from Jesus only created more questions. And even though they were shaken, Jesus promised them in John 14 to make them unshakable, even in their questions. In John 14, verses 15 and 16, he says to them, If you love me, obey my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Now, the original wording there is a word called parakletos, which simply means a, an advocate, a mediator, a go-between, a lawyer, a defense lawyer that will come to your aid, a, a comforter, a helper, a counselor. It's the role that the Spirit plays. And he says, he will never leave you. As a matter of fact, verse 17, he, he, he simply says it this way, He is the Holy Spirit, and He'll lead you into all truth. The world can't receive Him because it isn't looking for Him, doesn't recognize Him, but you know Him because He lives with you now and later will be in you. How will the presence of God's Spirit make us unshakable? Well, you keep on loving Him. Even when you've got questions in the middle of the storm, like the disciples, who is that? How is that happening? What's going on? It's the presence of the Spirit of God that encourages us to keep on obeying Him, even when, like Mary, you question your ability to meet His expectations. I don't understand how it's going to happen, God. I've never done this before. And it's the presence of God's Spirit that encourages us to keep on believing the truth of God, even when Satan and the society around us makes you question your real identity. You remember the temptation for Jesus? If you're really the Son of God, if you're really the Messiah, if you really do belong to God, then all of it beginning to question, are you really who you say and think you are? So how can the presence of God's Spirit make us unshakable? Because God's Spirit gives us a new life, a fresh start. In John 3 is the story of a guy named Nicodemus. He was a Jewish leader. He was supposed to know the answers when people came to him with questions. And believe it, when Jesus was teaching and doing his miracles, they had lots of questions. But instead of going to Jesus, because they were kind of intimidated about being exposed by him, they'd seen what he'd done to the other Pharisees, they instead went to Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was supposed to be the example of how to live your life in perfect obedience to God's will. They were meticulous in their obedience to their understanding of what God wanted in their life. And yet, Nicodemus had questions. He had questions for Jesus because he had doubts about himself and fears that maybe he would be exposed. And so he came after dark. He also had questions 
because he admits to Jesus, Rabbi, we know God is with you. We know God has sent you to us to teach us. And we can't deny the miracles that you've done and that anybody who does those miracles must come from God. So he's courteous, he's humble, he's honest, and yet he admitted he's got questions. What about me? So in John 3, verse 3, Jesus says to him, Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, his response is similar to what most of us would say. Well, how can you go back into your mother's womb and be born again? It's too late to start over, right? And for somebody who is concerned about being exposed, for somebody who is concerned about not being good enough, it makes sense that he would be concerned about whether it was too late to start over or not. Jesus' response in verses 5 and 6 of John 3 are this. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born both of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. And then Jesus reminds Nicodemus of an incident from Jewish history that's recorded in Numbers 21. Now, it seems to be kind of obscure, but hang with me for just a minute. God's people were on their way to the promised land. They'd been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. God sends Moses to set them free and to lead them to the promised land. They are right where God wants them to be, following the leader that God wants them to follow. They've been set free. Now, in the meantime, they'd lost a few battles, and they'd won a few battles, but they were growing impatient with how long it was taking. Not unlike many of us as we begin our walk with God. We win a few, we lose a few, and we grow impatient with how it's going. And we wonder how much longer this is going to take before I no longer have to fight these battles. They begin to grumble and complain about God and Moses. They question his leadership. They question the journey and how long it's taking. They complain about the food that God has providentially provided for them, manna from heaven. They're worried about the water and whether they're going to have enough or whether they're just going to die there in the desert. And God decides to teach them a lesson. And so he sends them poisonous snakes. Many of them are bitten and many of them die. In desperation, they go running to Moses, essentially saying, you got to do something about this because we've sinned against the Lord and against you. Make it stop. Now, that's my paraphrase, but if you read Numbers 21, the first part of the chapter, you'll see that's essentially the essence of the story. And Moses is told in verse 8 then, make a replica of a poisonous snake. And so he makes a bronze serpent. Set it up on a pole. And God says, all who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. Talk about being a science denier. That just doesn't make any sense at all, right? How do you explain that? How do you understand that? How do you comprehend? How do you instill confidence when you just make a model of a snake and when somebody's been bitten by a snake and they're, they're swelling up and it's hot and feverish and they've got all of the symptoms, you tell them, just look at the snake and God says that'll be good enough. Jesus' point in bringing this up to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, sometimes you just have to believe 
even if you can't explain it. And he goes on to remind him that two people can bring new life into this world, but the spiritual life is a gift that only comes from God. It may not make sense, but he asked him just to believe it. How can the presence of God's Spirit make us unshakable? Well, it does this by giving new, it does this by giving new life to us. But also, there's the reminder that God's people in Moses' day had grown tired of waiting for God's promise to become a reality. And consequently, they fell back into their old habits that led them away from trusting God and His leadership. And honestly, the same type of thing happens today with us, doesn't it? Because just like them, we need God's Spirit to not, give, to not only give us life, but to also transform the life that we have. As we begin to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus, that's what Scripture calls sanctification or holiness. Let me share this passage with you from 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. All of us who with unveiled faces, again, kind of a reference to Moses coming down from the mountain after receiving the Ten Commandments and how his face glowed from being in the presence of God. He says, all of us with unveiled faces can see and reflect on the Lord's glory. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him. There's the key phrase. We become more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. That happens because we contemplate, we dwell on, we reflect on the presence of God in our life. Our transformation into the image of Jesus doesn't come because of superior knowledge. If it did, Nicodemus would have been in good shape. Neither does it come because of decreasing amounts of sin in our life. The Apostle Paul, by inspiration from God, says that it comes from the presence of his spirit within. He would later explain how that happens to a group of Christians in Ephesus. In chapter 2, verses 21 through 24, he says, Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, catch this phrase, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your mind, or your thoughts and your attitude. That change, that transformation happens because of the work of the Spirit in our life. Like Mary, do we understand it? Do we understand or can we explain how that happens? No. We just trust that God knows what His Spirit will do in us. How can the presence of God's Spirit make us unshakable? Aside from giving us new life and helping to transform that new life that He gives us, God's Spirit also affirms that we're His children, that we bear the family resemblance, and that we are standing in line to receive the family inheritance. Remember how you learned to drive with your parents? How scared to death you were that you were going to screw up? A story that my son and I both have told a number of times is when he was 16, learning how to drive, I taught him how to drive a clutch. And we were living in Kentucky at the time. We went out into the country, and of course, 
Kentucky country, it didn't take long before we came to a hill and a stop sign at the bottom of it, actually in the middle of the hill. He was a little concerned about how this was going to work, and so that I thought this is a great opportunity, not only to teach him how to drive a clutch, but how to drive a clutch and hold it in place when you're sitting on a hill. Well, as you can imagine, there were a few starts and stops and starts and stops. He was getting more and more frustrated, more and more aware of my presence, and more and more afraid of my disapproval. And I finally told him, you're not giving enough gas. You've got to really give it some gas to be able to do this. And so the next time, that's exactly what he did. And gravel flew everywhere on that country road, and we took right up off the hill. And he kind of looked over out of the corner of his eye at me, and I said, that's what I'm talking about. He's never had any trouble since. But it's that same type of thing that happens with us in our walk with God. What if I mess this up? What if he gets mad at me? What if he doesn't want me? In Romans chapter 8, verse 15 and 16, he says, You've not received a spirit that makes you fearful as slaves. We don't have to be afraid because of the Spirit of God. Instead, he says, you've received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. You are a child of God. The Spirit of God in your life is evidence of that. And he says, now we can call Him Abba Father. For His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Paul reassures the Galatians that God's acceptance does not depend on their performance or their heritage or their gender or their station and status in life. And that was important for them to hear because of how they were being treated by other less than great mature Christians in their community. In Galatians 3 verse 26 and following, he just says it outright. You are all children of God through faith in Christ. It's not because you know more than anybody else. It's not because of your heritage. It's not because of your performance and how great a job you're doing or how lousy a job you're doing. He says you've all been united with Christ in baptism. And you've all put on Christ just like a new set of clothes. You're all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs according to God's promise. The presence of God in our life, the presence of God's Spirit can make us unshakable as we have that confidence that comes from knowing that his Spirit in us assures us that we are part of the family of God. Even if we don't learn how to drive a clutch on the side of a hill, we're still part of the family. Here's another aspect. How can the presence of God's Spirit make us unshakable? Number four, God's Spirit empowers us to speak up. That was the promise that was made to those apostles. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. You may not have Scripture memorized. You may not be eloquent in your apologetics and defending the existence of God. However, you are an expert witness and able to testify to this. 
What's the reason for your hope in having a relationship with God? What have you seen God doing in your life? You can share how God has worked in you and brought you comfort, guided you, reassured you. In Acts chapter 4, verses 5 through 10, and later on, verse 23, Peter and John, it says, were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to defend confidently the reason why they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And then it says, in summary, they had been with Jesus. It was just obvious because of the way they spoke boldly. Also in verse 29 and following of Acts 4, it says that they were filled with the Spirit and they had boldness because of their prayer. One last thing to consider is this. God's Spirit enables us to serve. Paul says this to a group of Christians in Corinth that had been arguing about who's more qualified. Was it Paul? Was it Peter? Was it Apollos? In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 7, he reminds them of this truth. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each one of us so that we can help each other. Let me tell you, there's nothing like a good church fight to make you question whether or not you have anything to contribute. Religion, <laughs> an observation made by a great theologian, Bono, lead singer of the band YouTube, was this. Religion can be the enemy of God. It's often what happens when God, like Elvis, has left the building. Without God, all you're left with is religion. Satan will use religion or church to deceive us and make us shake to our very core, questioning if what we believe is really true, but it's the Spirit of God within us that actually enables us to keep on serving Him and keep on serving His people. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 would describe it this way. He encourages them to live a life that's worthy of what God chose you for. Well, that's usually what makes us more nervous is we're afraid we're not living up to God and His expectations for us. But he says, don't be proud at all. Be completely gentle. Be patient. Put up with one another in love. Well, how do you do that? Because I don't know of anybody who's bragged recently about how patient and forgiving and forbearing they were. In verse 3 of Ephesians 4, he says, the Holy Spirit makes you one in every way. He's talking about unity. And it's a benefit, a side effect of the presence of God's Spirit within us. It makes us united as one. Verse 7, each one of us has received a gift of grace given to us by Christ. Verse 12, he gave these gifts to the church to prepare God's people to serve and to build up the body of Christ. How does the spirit of God's presence within us make us unshakable? Because when we question whether we have anything to contribute to the body of Christ, it's the very presence of God's spirit that uses us, just like it did Mary, 
just like it did Jesus, just like it did with Peter and John, just like it did with Paul. The presence of God's Spirit makes us unshakable. For some, the Holy Spirit may be drawing you to truth and grace found in Christ. For others, the Holy Spirit may be convicting you of sin. It may be convicting you of the righteousness that's available by faith in the grace of God. And for others, it may be convicting you of the ultimate accountability for your actions and your choices in your lifestyle and the coming judgment for that. All of that is the work of the Spirit as well. Like I said in the beginning, by no stretch of the imagination has this been a full explanation of how the Holy Spirit works. It was just an appetizer, if you will, to remind you that the Spirit of God's presence in your life can make you unshakable. Invite the Spirit of God in your life. Listen to Him. Follow His lead. Stop fighting against what He's trying to do in you and through you. The unshakable life is empowered by the Spirit of God Himself who is alive within us. And the evidence of His presence within us is primarily identified as the way that we love God and love others, serving them instead of a love that is self-serving. May God bless you as you open your heart to the presence of God's Spirit within you. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Marysville Christian Church and connect with us, be sure to go to our website, marysvillechristian.org. If you are near the Marysville area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday morning. We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m. and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Waldo Road, Marysville, Ohio, 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838. Email is office at barrysvillechristian.org.